You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. LeafMiner infests networks in the Middle East. Red Alert, Kronos, Mirai, and Gafgit make their reappearance in new forms. Shipping firm Costco is dealing with a cyber attack. U.S. officials raise warnings about Russian threats to the power grid and elections. And a dispute over cyber insurance coverage lands the insured and the insurer in court. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, July 25th, 2018. Symantec researchers are reporting a new cyber campaign active in the Middle East. Earlier today, the security company released its report on LeafMiner, which is what they're calling the threat actor. They say it's been active against governments and business verticals in the region since 2017. The affected countries include Saudi Arabia, which leads in the number of infections, Lebanon, which clocks in second, and Israel and Kuwait rounding out the field. LeafMiner's target list, obtained due to the attacker's missteps, is written in Farsi, and it calls out enterprises in Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Kuwait, Bahrain, Egypt, Israel, and Afghanistan. LeafMiner makes good use of known exploits and commodity attack tools. Symantec also points out that the threat actor, quote, seems to be actively following developments and publications of the offensive security community when selecting their toolkit, end quote. They're active, committed to learning from the best, but also a bit sloppy with their own operational security. This suggests, the researchers say, a degree of inexperience, but LeafMiner will bear watching. Several familiar criminal tools are resurfacing in updated form. Security firm Sophos is seeing a new version of the Red Alert banking trojan, Red Alert 2.0. Cybersecurity company Proofpoint reports that Kronos is back. Kronos is also a banking trojan, this one first observed in 2014, and it made its reappearance recently with attacks in Germany and Poland. It's being spread largely by phishing, with the fish bait taking the familiar form of a malicious Word document attached to an email. Proofpoint notes that its masters are using Tor for command and control traffic. Kronos is also available on a criminal-to-criminal basis, and Proofpoint thinks they've observed circumstantial evidence that Kronos has been rebranded as Osiris, and that it's available under that name on the black market. And Palo Alto Networks and others note a resurgence of the Mirai and Gafgit botnets. 
which are run and rerun as commodity attacks against vulnerable Internet of Things devices. Wiretap is a company that helps provide organizations with insights on how their employees are using social collaboration and messaging tools to make sure they're in compliance and that employees aren't misbehaving. They recently published the results from their Human Behavior Risk Analysis Report. Jason Morgan is Vice President of Behavioral Intelligence at Wiretap. With our AWARE platform, we help companies monitor their enterprise social networks like Yammer, Workplace by Facebook, or Microsoft Teams. And so in building the uh, behavioral intelligence models, the artificial intelligence for this platform, we've gathered a great deal of data from several hundred data sharing customers. So this is what came out of it, the human behavioral risk analysis. In the report, we highlight some of the risky behaviors that people actually participate in in these enterprise social networks, things like toxic behavior, maybe people are sharing uh, crude jokes or photos they shouldn't be. Um, maybe they are participating in harassing behavior. And maybe they're actually sharing intellectual property when they shouldn't be or customer data. That said, now that's kind of where we went with this report, uh, highlighting some of these risky behaviors. What we really want to convey in the report is also that these risky behaviors, while they exist, they're not that common. And in fact, uh, it's just usually a few employees, um, a few messages in a network per day, per month that uh, really cause any kind of problem. And so we really want to highlight the fact that these enterprise social networks can help companies be more productive. Maybe that is uh, reducing some communication complexity, you know, getting away from email, making communication uh, more rapid. Uh, it may help companies also just get ahead of problems. Maybe this is uh, problems morale. So, And it will also help companies, we hope, understand that they can get at the root of complexity and toxicity in the networks. We want the companies to understand that they can use these enterprise social networks to, to get insight into the patterns of communication on their networks that they can possibly in the future use them to identify stellar employees or employees that are been, being excluded from conversations and excluded in a way that may be a drain on uh, the overall culture of a company. Now, in terms of managing risk, I mean, what are your recommendations for organizations as, as they deploy these tools, which clearly are useful and can help workers be more efficient, uh, and, mm -hmm. and I suppose as you, as you lay out, also can help with employee morale. You know, you sort of have this virtual water cooler where people can get questions answered quickly or check in with their coworkers. Um, what's the balance there? How, what's, what are your recommendations based on the data that you got from this report? The first thing that I would tell companies that are looking to roll out uh, something like Workplace by Facebook or, or Yammer or Teams is that on these platforms, because they are a centralized place of communication, it's probably easier to manage risk on these platforms than it is, for example, face-to-face uh, -face conversations around a water cooler. Companies have always uh, dealt with issues uh, whether or not it's crude jokes that are, you know, uh, crude, racist or other jokes around the water cooler that are extremely hard to monitor and to control. Whereas on these collaboration networks, they have an opportunity to first off monitor and make sure those type of toxic behaviors are not occurring. And at the same time to extend their knowledge about how work within their company gets done. 
So this is something I noticed coming from enterprise and I've spoken to other people here at Wiretap and then their customers is that they don't know a lot of times how work actually gets done. You don't know who the important people are at a company. They aren't always the people sitting in the seats that you would think they are. These social networks, while uh, they do raise another vector of potential risk, they actually, if you ask me, decrease the ultimate risk to the company because it can be monitored. At the same time, they're opening up opportunities to identify productive employees, identify where problems might be arising that wouldn't even ever be uh, talked about um, otherwise. That's Jason Morgan from Wiretap. You can check out their Human Behavior Risk Analysis Report on their website. The maritime shipping firm Costco reports that a malware infection is impeding but not stopping its operations. The infestation apparently began at the Costco terminal in the U.S. port of Long Beach, California. It's said by industry publication Lodestar to have spread last night to the line's U.K. operations. The incident has reminded observers of the effect NotPetya had on the Maersk line last year. That particular attack is reckoned to have cost Maersk some $300 million, and NotPetya was in all probability directed principally at Ukrainian targets. The disruption and economic losses elsewhere were just so much gravy. The Costco incident seems not to be as serious as the one that affected Maersk and other logistics companies. Costco says that ship operations are unaffected, and the company stresses that safety of navigation is not impeded at all. But business communications are being hit. How the company handles the attack will provide a good indication of how the shipping sector has improved its resilience since last year's Russian wake-up call. And speaking of the Russians, they're much in the mind of the U.S. Congress and media this week. Warning has come from several official quarters that Russian hacking of American infrastructure, especially the power grid, is a looming threat. Several reports, rendered both to Congress and the media, describe the extensive battle space preparation and successful compromise of electrical power infrastructure control centers that Russian operators, call them Energetic Bear for short, have achieved. Obviously, the North American power grid hasn't been taken down. Canadian and U.S. electrical power distribution is so closely coupled that disruptions cross the 49th parallel north easily and freely. So this is a Canadian issue as well, but, well, it could happen. Industry sources vigorously second the official warnings. Security industry comments run from, well, this is the new normal, to, well, we've known this for years, what took you so long? To, and why all of a sudden are you shouting the obvious from the rooftops? To, keep calm and take a deep breath. In truth, as many point out, such alerts have been sounded for some years, but they're being delivered with unusual urgency this time around. It's not just the power grid either. Christopher Krebs, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security Undersecretary for National Protection and Programs Directorate, yesterday testified about election security to the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. His statement, for the record, offered a comprehensive overview of the measures the National Protection and Programs Directorate has taken to help state and local election authorities protect themselves against vote hacking narrowly conceived. Much of this takes the form of intelligence sharing, technical assistance, and mutual cooperation. Undersecretary Krebs did say, with respect to the in many ways more interesting issue of Russian information operations, 
that Moscow had, as he put it, quote, continued malign influence operations, end quote, into this year, although not apparently on the same scale that was observed in 2016. This seems only right, since, after all, this is an off-year election, and it's reasonable to think the Bears have a civics-class understanding of the relative importance of presidential and midterm voting. DHS isn't writing off the prospect of direct hacking either, especially given reports that some 21 states have seen scans of electoral systems attempted over the past two years. Whether the executive branch is crying wolf or not, Congress is certainly howling. The warnings come as the U.S. Congress shapes the defense authorization bill in which cyber provisions figure prominently. Congress is in a mood to take a hard line with calls for retaliation in kind or worse to cyber attacks. There's also a move afoot in the Senate to form a commission to study and develop advice on cybersecurity policy. Finally, a Virginia bank, the National Bank of Blacksburg, is reported to be suing its insurer, Everett National Insurance, over coverage of two cyber bank heists that netted thieves about $2.4 million. The crooks were probably a Russian gang, from evidence the bank's security consultants found when they were called in to help with the mop-up. The policy Blacksburg had with Everett had two riders, a computer and electronic crime rider with a single loss limit liability of $8 million and a $125,000 deductible, and a debit card rider, which limited single loss liability to $50,000 with a $25,000 deductible and an aggregate limit of $250,000. The bank complains that the insurance company regarded the crimes as covered by the debit card rider presumably since they involved ATM exploits. Whatever the case's outcome, the National Bank of Blacksburg was certainly pwned. Twice. So beware of phishing, and remember, when it comes to transferring risk, the large print giveth, but the small print taketh away. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. 
That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Professor Awais Rashid. He's a professor of cybersecurity at the University of Bristol. Uh, Awais, welcome back. Um, We wanted to touch today on this notion of IoT and operational technology and how they're converging. What do you have to share with us? So operational technology, which uh, which is a catch-all term, is is the kind of systems that we use in uh, industrial infrastructure. So these are the kind of systems that are uh, used to control uh, water treatment, power grid, manufacturing facilities, and increasingly widely used in high-value man- manufacturing and those kind of settings. With the emergence of IoT, we we are seeing such devices being incorporated into these kind of operational environments, and th- there are plenty of good reasons for that. This provides enhanced visibility uh, and integration, which means that you can have more effective business processes. You can glean more real-time intelligence from your operational technology. You can reduce costs. You can fine-tune physical processes. However, this convergence also means that the boundary between what are your traditional legacy operational technology environments, which were not originally supposed to be connected to other networks and and, uh, uh, at least the internet, uh, is now interacting with more contemporary IoT sensors and actuators that are connected and are supposed to have remote connectivity and control. And that poses a number of interesting challenges for security. So take us through what are some of the challenges there? You can imagine a scenario where you have a number of, uh, say, um, older devices like uh, programmable logic controllers or remote telemetry units, you know, sometimes running on protocols which uh, do not have authentication and encrypted communication built into that, now interfacing with an IoT uh, gateway, which is uh, gleaning intelligence and and uh, pushing that data into the cloud and so on. And that, that in itself provides interesting challenges and new problems in terms of the attack surface of this kind of a convergent environment. We need to understand what, what the attacks look like in this kind of convergent environment. The cyber kill chain is very well known as a, as a model in industry, showing how the attacker may be disrupted at different stages of an attack. Uh, and in a simplistic way, maybe we need some kind of a cyber kill chain that uh, represents this kind of convergent IoT and operational technology environment. And where do you suppose things stand right now? Are, are we where we need to be? Or what, what, do you, what do you see as, as we look forward? I think one of well, there are a number of things that we can uh, we can uh, look at. One of the things is to understand as to how the convergence leads to potential vulnerabilities being exposed uh, to to attackers. We need to understand what the attack models in this kind of convergence setting might look like. So, for example, attackers pivoting from the operational technology uh, onto the IoT, or vice versa. Uh, what are the possibilities of lateral movement or you know privilege escalation in these kind of settings? So there are a number of unknowns at this point in time, simply because uh, traditionally these kind of environments haven't had this level of connectivity. Um, uh, And I think we we do need to have better ways of analyzing attacks in this kind of convergent environments. We also need uh, more specific and perhaps specialized intrusion detection systems that are attuned to the what you would think of as the melting pot of uh, legacy and non-legacy technologies and protocols coming together. Professor Awais Rashid, thanks for joining us.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. <laughs>